Pastor Xavier Reese asks, are your prayers earnestly seeking God's will or merely telling Him yours? Those private times when it's you and God and, and God knows your heart if you're standing worshiping God in public and you're worshiping Him, but He sees you on your face because He sees your heart. And it's my love for God that draws me. That has to be the paramount thing that motivates me in life. Love for God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Garden of Gethsemane is probably most commonly known as the location where Jesus was apprehended after the betrayal by Judas. But the reason he was found there in particular was because that was a place Jesus often went to pray. And with his death on the cross looming just days away, it's no wonder that's precisely where he was, praying that fateful night. And it's also where Pastor Xavier draws out several important simple truths Jesus demonstrated for victory in our own prayer life. Let's join him now in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Often when a person knows death is near, that person desires to be with and to talk to those closest to him. And so it was with Jesus as he enters the Garden of Gethsemane here in our text. He enters with his disciples to pray to his father. The plot to kill Jesus was underway already. The beginning of the chapter tells us the fulfillment of the Passover, its new meaning had been instituted. And Peter's denial had been predicted personally to Peter by Jesus Christ. And the Lord warned the disciples of the difficult times to come. Now, the Lord, being exceedingly sorrowful, goes to prayer, anticipating his death, which is described by three things. First, we have the Lord's place of prayer, 39 and 40. Second, we have the Lord's passion in prayer, verse 41 through 44. And thirdly, the Lord's perspective through prayer in verse 45 and 46. Notice the Lord Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray. Verse 39, the beginning. It says, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives. As he was accustomed and his disciples also followed. The saving coming out, as you know, is connected to what has preceded. It refers to the upper room where Jesus just instituted the uh, New Testament and the Passover through the communion service of the New Testament. He was fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies. He stated that his body was broken for us. His blood was uh, the sign of the new covenant, the token as the remission of sins, the new covenant. And that it was for both Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. There was no longer to be a separation. After they had sung a song, we are told by the other synoptics, Matthew 26, 30 and Mark 14, 26, that they went out, uh, they sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now all this followed the protocol of the steps of the Old Testament Passover and everything, the Exodus. But then he transitioned it to the meaning of the New Testament, but they still sung the songs and went through the steps that they did. Now, the Mount of Olives was close to the temple, if you've been to Jerusalem with us over in Israel. Jesus gave 
the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and the signs of his coming at the end of the age for the second coming, Matthew 24, Mark 13, from the Mount of Olives. Jesus also descended from the Mount of Olives for the triumphal entry, if you remember, in Matthew 19 of Luke that we saw, verse 37 and 40, as he came into the triumphal entry as Messiah, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. So the Mount of Olives plays a very important part. And Jesus went to Bethany this last week, only on Palm Sunday, we're told by Matthew 21, 17. Luke tells us, as he did in chapter 21, verse 37, that this last week, Jesus taught in the temple openly during the day, but at night he went out of the city and he stayed in the mountain called Olivet, Luke 21, 37. The specific area of Mount of Olives is familiar to Jesus, it says here. It's a place where he was accustomed to go. The place is called Gethsemane, which means olive press. Matthew uh, 26.36 and Mark 14.32 give us that information. These kind of gardens usually belong to wealthy people, whether it be in the Mount of Olives or other regions. And perhaps... Um, Possibly this man was a friend of Jesus, perhaps even a disciple. And he allowed him and his disciples to just resort there whenever they were in the city. John tells us Jesus' disciples often resorted to the garden. And Judas knew its location in John 18, 1 and 2. Now, as you look at the material for the Passover, Judas didn't know where the Passover was taken. Because he sent Peter and James and, and, and John and them. But he was very accustomed to this. And, and we're going to see at the end of this passage, the transition is Judas comes with all those to arrest Jesus. He knew exactly where he would be. The disciples followed him. Notice the eleven were with him. Notice the Lord Jesus arriving to the Garden of Gethsemane. He instructed the disciples to pray. He says, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus was... Um, a constant example of prayer to his disciples. In fact, Luke records for us eight different occasions. Let me just mention them to you. The first was at his baptism in Luke three twenty-one through 22. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased, hear him, obey him. The second was in Luke five fifteen through 16, when the ministry of Jesus became so overwhelming and the demands that he goes to the Father. Again, an example that he trusted the Father for everything and he drew from the Father when, when things became very difficult. Then thirdly, in chapter 6, 12 through 16, he prayed all night for the choosing of the twelve to be his apostles. In the fourth, in chapter 9, 18 through 20, it was at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus went out to pray alone. And then he asked the disciple, who do men say that I am? Where Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, your name is Peter's. Flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my Father in heaven. Upon this rock I will build my church. And so there again, his time alone, waiting on the Father. The fifth is the Mount of Transfiguration, where he reveals his glory. In Luke um, 9, 28-36, there Peter, James, and John saw Elijah and Jesus glorified. He really, literally saw a preview of the second coming. And that was the prayer there. And the sixth... After the 70 had returned, he gave thanks to the Father for those who had been saved in Luke 10, 21 through 22. 
the seventh was when the disciples asked him, teach us to pray in Luke 11, 1, 4. And they admired him. The eighth is here our text in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's about to submit to the difficult will of God. Now, Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples for the trial about to come upon them. That's why he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Here is the greatness of our God. In the most intense and most difficult point of his ministry, he's first of all considering the benefit of his apostles and disciples. He's looking out for them. What an example to every shepherd who stands behind a pulpit, who declares himself to be called of God, that he cares for the people of God, that he not abuse the people of God. That he puts the people of God before him. What an example to us. It is amazing to me. Prayer in its most simple form is dependence on God completely. Align ourselves with the will of God. Listening and obeying God's will. They were expecting Jesus to set up the kingdom as you know. They had sensed the elation of the triumphal entry in Luke 19 and 11. They were ready for it. They didn't have no idea. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. You as a parent, you see certain things with your child as they're going to school or they're going here. And, and you know the, the, the difficult time they're going to have. And, and, and you're trying to prepare them without freaking them out. You're thinking of them. And when they're in school, you're nervous. You're praying this and that because you're thinking of them. You're not thinking of you. This is Jesus. They were out to be devastated as Jesus would be arrested. All would abandon Jesus. Peter would deny him three times. They would enter into temptation. The word means trial, approving of fidelity, integrity, virtue, constancy of man. It can be an enticement to sin, whether it arises from within or whether it's enticement from without. Either way. Prayer. Daniel had an upper room in his house in Daniel 6.10. He opened his window towards Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day as was his custom since early days, it says. The Mount of Olives is an important location in Scripture, as you know. Solomon had built for his pagan wives some temples there to their pagan gods in 2 Kings 23.13. It's called the Mount of Corruption at that time. <laughs> Because of what Solomon did. Jesus ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. As the disciples looked up in Acts 1, 9 through 12, the angel says, Why do you men stand here gazing up the very same way that Jesus left? He's going to come back. When Jesus returns with his church, he will come to the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14, 4 says, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem in the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making the very large valley. Half of the mountains shall move towards the north and half towards the south. And torrents of water will gush forth, some to the Dead Sea and revive it, and others to the Mediterranean. It will be on the Mount of Olives that his foot will touch. Prayer. Is an essential part for the believer for their communion with Jesus. Each of us need to have that place of prayer that's regular that we're accustomed to. Otherwise, we um, we can start just living on our own, 
abilities and strength. Each of us should not limit prayer also to when there's problems and despair. Otherwise, I'm really acting out the way I used to live as a pagan or as a religious man. As I was raised a Catholic, whenever I went to God, because I was in trouble. I knocked on the door of the trouble closet, and I said, Lord, if you, and I didn't call him Lord, I said, God, if, if you get me out of this, I'll do this, I'll do that. And then when I got out, that was it. I just waited for the next crisis. And so, we have to be careful that prayer is a privilege, and that it's not just for crises, or for difficult times, or times of distress. First Thessalonians 5, 17-18 says, Pray without cease and everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the Lord's place of prayer was well known. But notice, secondly, the Lord's passion in prayer comes in verse 41-44. through 44. In 41, the passion of Jesus is marked first by solitude. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, it says. Sufficient space to have privacy with the Father. Due to the agony before him. It's a very serious time. Jesus always prayed with the Father alone. We have no record in scripture that Jesus ever prayed together in a group form with the disciples or apostles. He never said with them our Father. But he always said my Father and your Father. He had that special relationship with, with his Father. And he took that time alone. In fact, Matthew 14, 23 says, And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. It's good for you and I to be alone sometimes with the Lord. Where or, or I hear him, where I just wait upon him, where I just worship him, where I just rest in him completely. The other gospels give us more details uh, Matthew 26, 37-39 says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, but he still separated himself with this from them. So Luke omits different things. So if we put them together, Jesus got there. He separated himself. He took James and John, and he was separated from, you know, three from 11 means eight. Eight were behind. He took the three, and then he separated himself from them. Matthew tells us so we get a better picture. Notice the passion of Jesus is marked by humility next. And he knelt down to pray. Kneeling to pray indicates his respect and reverence for his father. Kneeling to pray before the father speaks his dire need and supplication that's going to be presented. It presents Jesus as looking up to the one and the only one that can meet his need. Sometimes I and you are not thoroughly convinced that God is the only one that can meet our needs. So we'll try everything else and last of all we'll say, well, I might as well pray now. When it should be the very thing I do. Once again, the Gospels give us added details. Matthew twenty six thirty nine tells us Jesus fell on his face, magnifying the intensity of this occasion. Jesus began praying on his knees, possibly as he's on his feet walking, then on his knees. Now he's on his face due to the intensity of this moment, placing his face to the ground. Have you been there alone? Not to do it in public where people say, ooh. But those private times when it's you and God and, and God knows your heart. And God knows your heart if you're standing worshiping God in public and you're worshiping Him. But He sees you on your face because He sees your heart. 
He's not like man. Mark 14.35 says that he fell to the ground. Total abandonment to the Father. Now the caution is that we don't conclude that physical posture indicates the right attitude or the right heart. Once again, you can be on your face and God sees you standing proud. So the whole thing is that it's, it's me and God. It's no one else. And it's my love for God that draws me. That has to be the paramount thing that motivates me in life. Love for God. Not love for my wife. Not love for my children. Not love for myself, but my love for God. Then I'll be able to love my wife, you, my children, and everything else. Notice next, the passion of Jesus is marked by conflict. Listen to the word saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. What is meant by the cup? Some say it means Jesus was afraid he would die before he went to the cross by the hand of Satan. Well, there's nothing in the text that would ever suggest that at all. They usually use Hebrews 5, 7 to confirm physical death. But it's absurd in context. For the word ek in that text means out from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. According to Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Psalm 16:10, So the context is wrong. Well intended, but it's wrong. Others say it, is, it was the fear of his death on the cross. And so we are focused on the agony and the difficulty and the horror of the cross. Yet Jesus knew from the beginning that he came to die for man, Matthew 20, 28, to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus declared his death and resurrection continually from the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi. He never shirked from it, and it always accompanied with his resurrection. Jesus said, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, in John 12, 44. So, that he was afraid of the death on the cross really is negated by the very declarations of Jesus and his actions. The cup is nothing but the wrath of God. Psalm eleven sixteen, Isaiah fifty one seventeen, Jeremiah twenty five fifteen, and others would punch in your computer cup of wrath. It's God's wrath. Jesus asked the sons of Zebedee, "Remember, are you able to drink of this cup I'm about to drink?" In Matthew twenty twenty two and Mark ten thirty three, when they asked for the right and left hand, the cup of wrath. The Lord Jesus at the Passover took up the cup. After supper and said, this cup is the New Testament, my blood, which is shed for you. His death was under the wrath of God for the sins on the cross, Luke twenty-two twenty. What was the conflict? The conflict of Jesus is from his humanity. For Jesus was 100% man. 100% God as you know, yet without sin. And he never used his deity to accomplish one thing. But as the perfect man, the last Adam, he depended on the Father to work through him all the time. So that you and I could never say, well, but he was God. No, he was God who became man. And as man, he depended on the Father so that you and I can do the same thing depending on him through the Father. Jesus was going to become sin for the world. And the wrath of God would fall upon him. 
while he was the epitome of holiness and without sin. Here's the real conflict. It's a spiritual problem. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Isaiah 53 is very clear on this. At times too much is emphasized on the physical suffering not to minimize it. But it's only the symptom of the cause. The problem is spiritual. Sometimes we forget that and we look at the physical and the problem is spiritual. We look to our nation, the disintegrating of our nation and society. We think our problem from the superficial point is economics, money. No, it's spiritual. We're broke physically because we are poor spiritually. The problem is spiritual. Psalm 22, 1, Jesus would cry out from the cross, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. In a way that we'll never understand a mystery in itself. Jesus Christ, who was with the Father from all eternity, emptied himself of his glory, divested himself, took on flesh for a set time, but he was still in communion with the Father. But at the cross, he would be totally separated from God in a way that you and I cannot understand because he would become sin. And there would be such a violation, such a horrible thing to take place that we don't know how. We, don't, we can't explain it. But so much so that we're going to see some of the evidence of that physically in our text in the next verses. Notice next, the passion of Jesus is marked by loving submission. Verse 42 there at the end. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The obedience to the will of the Father was submitted and yielded out of love. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His love towards us, and while we were yet or still sinners, Christ died for us. Another passage says, For the ungodly, I presume we all qualify. It was His love for us. Nothing but his love. That was his motivation. But love alone could not do it. There had to be some actions behind it. My declaring that I love God is great, but then my actions have to confirm that I love God. He would die for the redemption of man, the Lamb of God, becoming sin and a curse. John 1, 29. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Galatians 3, 13. This is the crisis in the ministry of Jesus. This is the paramount affliction, if you will. But he was not rebellious, an obedient, loving servant. Linsky, the Greek scholar, says the imperative being durative expresses the course of action, not a mere single act, but the act of decision followed all along. Praying is to align him here with the mind of God not to change the mind of God not for permission to exercise his will and so with us we don't go to prayer to change God's mind or to exercise our will Philippians 2a Paul says and being found in appearance of the man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross obedience you see obedience is to be motivated by love Mere obedience out of fear is not obedience. It's just that I love myself. I don't want to get hurt, so I obey. But when love is a motivating factor, that is the highest and the purest motivation for all action. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up our time today, drawing simple truths about prayer from the example of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's still much more to come right here next time as well. However, in the meantime, you can always pick up your own copy of this message. And the title to ask for is simply Victory Through Prayer. It's available on CD, as usual, for only $4. Once again, you'll be asking for the message titled Victory Through Prayer, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Well, when it comes to spiritual warfare, Pastor Xavier Reese says the key to ensuring victory over the enemy is a strategy that begins on your knees. Hope you'll be back for more Simple Truths next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com